Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Sunday and welcome to Mother's Day. I'm so glad that you're here. If you have a Bible where you are worshiping today, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, perhaps you heard the story about the little fellow who was brushing his teeth. He was maybe four years old and he was in with his mom trying to brush his teeth. And just as little kids do, he was messing around and he ended up flipping his toothbrush and of course it landed in the toilet. Well, his mom fishes it out and throws it in the trash can and says, I need to get you another one. And he looked at her kind of funny for a minute and paused and then he ran out of the room. And she thought, where did he go? And in a minute he came running back with a toothbrush in his hand and it was, it was her toothbrush. And he says, well, I guess you better throw this one away too because I dropped it in the toilet last week. And then there was a little girl who showed up for school the first day, and she had an envelope that she gave to her teacher. The teacher opened it, and it was a note from the parents, and it says this. The opinions of this child are not necessarily those of her parents. Mother's Day. Mother's Day actually began in 1908. A Methodist woman named Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother, the memory of her mother, and so she organized a memorial service and gave everybody who came a carnation and had a preacher preach a sermon. By 1914, it had become popular enough that number 28, Woodrow Wilson, uh, declared this uh, national holiday the second Sunday in May. So here we are over 100, little, just a little bit over 100 years later. I guess the flower thing kind of caught on too because I remember as a little boy that we had, we had uh, roses in our yard and my dad would take a red rosebud and put it, pin it on my shirt and he would pin a white one on his shirt. The white one was because his mother was deceased. The red one was because my mother was living. Holidays evoke feelings within us. Um, Valentine evokes feelings of love and romance. Um, Fourth of July evokes feelings of patriotism, national pride, those kinds of things. Mother's Day can evoke a whole range of emotions. And so I don't think I can begin my message without at least talking about the fact that Mother's Day can be a very hard day for for some of us. Some among us long to be a mother and you've never been able to conceive. Some of you have had miscarriages or stillbirths and you still grieve the loss of that child. Some of you have lost a mother recently. Some of you never even knew your mother and some of you have a train wreck of a relationship with your mother and you have never been able to figure it out. Some of you have had an abortion and you live with that regret. So I can't deny the reality of some of this pain, but I want us to bring that to the Father this morning and I want us to give that to Him so we can Uh, Deal with that wherever we are, um, wherever you are on that journey. And oftentimes it is a journey. So let's begin with prayer and, and ask the Lord to help us. 
Father, I know that there are those who carry uh, heavy burdens today. So I pray that they would run to you. They would cast their cares upon you. That they would know your love and your care as the best parent ever. May they, in the words of the psalmist, find you to be their hiding place, that you would fill their hearts with songs of deliverance. And for those who are dealing with failure or sin or regrets, that they would bring it to you and realize that your truth about forgiveness covers all of our sins. There is no sin beyond the grace and the love and the hope that you offer to us. I pray that you would help us all to find that in our heart of hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's move on to what we can all recognize and agree, and that is that some woman at some point in time for roughly nine months carried you in her womb and brought you into this world and she gave you uh, the gift of life. And for that, we have a measure of indebtedness and a measure of gratitude that ought to own us. So I want to direct my words today, especially to mothers and to grandmothers. But it's in a little broader sense, it's going to be to all parents. Because a lot of these truths that I'm talking about today apply to dads as well as to moms. And some of you are out there saying, well, I'm not a mom, I'm not a dad. Well, you're a child of a, of a parent, so it applies to you. You may have siblings that have children. You're an uncle or an aunt or a cousin. Um, you have relationships that you can invest in. So all of us can use these truths on some level. I want to begin with some quotes from some rather famous people. George Washington said, the greatest teacher I ever had was my mother. Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. No man is poor when he has a good mother. Winston Churchill said, if we want to change our nation, begin by enlisting our mothers. And just recently, I heard Jeff Foxworthy say, if there's anything good and kind in me, it is due to my mother. End of quote. The power of parenting is tremendous. I believe in what the Bible teaches about generational blessings. And, and the Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy 1 when he's writing to Timothy and he talks about the faith that's in Timothy that was first in his mother and in his grandmother, in Eunice and in Lois. And so we go to our text this morning with this in mind, the power of the parent. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Well, before I read it, let me set the text. The Israelites are about to enter the promised land. They tried once before and they didn't have faith. And so you remember they wandered for 40 years. And this time they're really going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to take the land. They're part of the covenant of God. And they've just reviewed in chapter 5 the Ten Commandments, the commands that God has given them to obey as a covenant people of the God of the universe. With this in mind, uh, he's reminding them in the first part of chapter 6 to uh, keep these uh, to fear the Lord and to keep His commands. In verse 5, we begin reading, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord, 
the Lord our God, excuse me, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of God for us today. It is inspired by God. It is inerrant. It is useful uh, for all of our lives. May God bless it today to us. Verse 5, 4 and 5 is the Shema, which comes from the first word that he says, Hear, O Israel. Now the word that he uses there has the idea of hearing, but it's, it's more than just hearing what someone is saying. It's more than hearing the words. It's a little bit like, let me use an analogy from your mother. Do you remember, did your mother ever get intense with you and say something like, listen to me, son, listen to me, daughter? Now she's not saying, she wasn't saying, um, absorb these words in your ears. <laughs> she was saying, you need to do what I'm about to tell you. You need to obey what I'm about to say to you. That's the import of this. That's what's going on here. He's saying, you need to remember these things. And, and, and this covenant with God begins all with the love of God. It's kind of like our message last week, the royal law, the love of God and the love of man. The idea is that we listen not just to hear, but we listen to obey. And it's out of this confession that we have of the Lord's oneness, the uniqueness of our God that flows this idea that we should be obedient to Him and we should honor Him with all that we do. Good Jews still quote the Shema. Uh, Jesus quoted it, and we know of at least two occasions He did this we read about this in the Gospels, one with the Pharisees, lawyer, another with a seeker who wanted to know the way to life. But you say, well, what, how does that really apply to us today? Well, this is the Old Testament. This was Israelites. This was, this was written to the Jews who were under the law thousands of years ago. But always remember that in Scripture there is, there is always a unity to the Word of God. We can't tear it apart. And there is also a progress to the Word of God. And so we can link this together with Galatians 3.24 and the teachings of Paul to the Galatians where he said that the law was to be put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So this is all looking ahead to Jesus, our perfect Messiah, the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. So it, is, it, it connects with everything that we believe and that we are doing today. Now, the most important part is the loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But the application of this, what we see here, he says these things are to be upon your hearts and you are to impress them upon your children. Now, This idea of impressing upon your children is, is so important. Um, but, but realize what he just said, that it has to be, has to be on your heart first. You, you can't take your children anywhere 
that you haven't been. Impress them upon your children. You know, this makes me think about the, uh, the grandparenting verse, verses that Connie and I chose from Psalm 71, 17, and 18. Kind of an kind of axiom for us. Um, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Verse 18. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. And so part of what I'm talking about today has, uh, you know, there's a parenting and there's a lot of us are grandparents. So there's a lot of application for us with that. So hear me today. Uh, we want to declare the truth of God to the next generation. And that should be within our hearts. Now the word impress here has the idea of an engraver. It's the, it's the idea of a, an engraver with a hammer and a chisel and a and a slab of granite that they're trying to engrave in when it has this idea of impress upon your children. And some of you are probably shaking your head right now because you're saying, that's a great metaphor for my kids. Their heads are as hard as a chunk of granite. And I get it because that happened at our house with the two boys that we, were, that we trained in years gone by. Hard-headed, hard-headed, strong-willed. And your, your job is almost as hard as that of a, of, a, of a craftsman, a sculptor taking a chisel and a hammer and etching into stone. I want to tie this to what I think is a New Testament parallel of sorts. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, after it says in the first few verses for children to obey their parents, which is a great thing. And then in verse 5, excuse me, verse 4, it says, Fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to talk about how, ways that we can exasperate our, your children. That's a sermon in itself. Uh, things that we should not do as good parents. But let me focus on what we are to do. And that is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so I think these ideas that we see in, 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 Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 6 and again over in Ephesians chapter 6, this idea of uh, in Deuteronomy that we impress it upon our children, in Deuteronomy 6 that we train and instruct our children. Now, back to the text in Deuteronomy 6. How do we do this? Well, it's, it talks about... Uh, when you, when, you, when you sit down, when you're being inactive, and when you walk, when you're active. When you lie down to go to sleep or when you get up for a new day, when you're sleeping and when you're awake. What, the picture is this, in the totality of your lives, you're to impress this upon your children. Now, I want to tell you um, that Deuteronomy 6 has, an, it has a, a hard part and an easy part. So, so let me give you the easy part first. And this is encouraging. I, I think in this text it is saying that we don't have to do extraordinary things to be good parents. We don't have to pray and fast for 40 days. 
So if God leads you to do that, that's great. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to have your child and, and, and pound the Word of God into them for an hour a day or make them memorize the book of Romans or, or some incredible task. That's the easy part. God is not asking that of us. But He is asking us to do something that's hard. And that's what I think this passage talks about is that he is asking you, instructing us to bring our faith into every part of our life. All that we do when we sit down, when we, when we walk in the way, when we sleep, when we rise up. He's talking about 24-7 faith. Um, consistency. That's what he's looking for. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me. I, I am not saying to you that this passage is saying, well, you've got to be perfect all the time, 24-7. Well, number one, you can't do it, and I know that I can't do it and did not do it. But I, I think it's not perfection as much as it's what's the pattern of your life? What is the pattern? What are you being consistent at? There's going to be blips where you miss the mark, and you need to own up to your own sin too with God and with others. I grew up, I was, I was blessed, I grew up in a Christian home, and we were in church on Sundays, um, we had family devotions, I have memories of seeing my mom and dad on their knees beside their bed at night praying before they went to bed. Um, but I think what impacted me even more is this whole idea of bringing their faith into the totality of their life. And it's not that I remember a lot of specific instances as much as I just remember overall how I felt, the way they treated me, the way I, f I knew that they would treat other people right and kind and good, uh, the values they lived by, their, their, their honesty, their integrity, um, the ethical, moral choices that they consistently made the way they spoke to each other and the way they spoke to me. And I just want to say, your children are watching you all the time. And they're going to catch what you model because more is caught than taught. Or said another way, what you are doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear a word that you're saying. You see, we can have a children's program here at the church and come and your children can come when we get back past this crisis, when we get back and, and they can come on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings and do things and activities and all that. But let, hear me, if you're not living it out at, at home, they're just going to think all this stuff they hear about God and, and love and goodness and doing right things and all that, they're going to think that that's just fairy tales. If you're not backing that up by what you're modeling day in and day out. Again, not perfectly, but consistently as the pattern of your life. Because I believe this. I want to say this. I, I believe that we have no right to expect our children to be more spiritual than what we model. Now, let me hasten to add, I think we all want our children to do better than us. 
I hope that my children grow in their faith and mature and become spiritual giants. And I hope they exceed their mom and their dad. But I don't have a right to expect that. You see, if I'm a, on a scale of 1 to 10, if I'm a 6, I don't have a right to expect my kids to be 8s if I'm only a 6. That just seems real intuitive to me um, that we have to set the bar. Let me back off for just a minute. I just I want to get this in today because this has been so important to me. Um, this idea of, of uh, the word I like to use is, is we need to be intentional parents. We need to be intentional about our parenting. It is not just, well, I hope it happens. Or I hope the kids turn out well. No, no, no. We need to be very intentional about what we're doing. And so Mother's Day gives me an opportunity to talk about what I believe are really important principles for parents, for mothers and dads, and for grandfathers and grandmothers as well to live out uh, with their children and their grandchildren. Four principles. Let me share these with you. Um, You don't have to write them down. They're going to be in your home group study, or you can probably get a copy of that, or you can write it down. The first one is this. I believe that Intentional parents model an active faith. That's from our text today. We model an active faith. I I use the word active because it has to be something we're doing, not just something that we're saying. Our deeds have to back up our words. Intentional parents model an active faith. Number two, intentional parents see parenting as a primary role in life. It's not, again, something that just may happen. This is, this is one of our jobs. Loving God, loving our spouse, loving our children, living in relationship to God, living in relationship to our spouse, and living in relationship to our children. These are our most primary roles that we have if we're married and we have children. We need to keep that as a priority. So, model an active faith. See, parenting is a primary role. The third intentional parenting principle is that intentional parents balance love and this discipline or training. Balance love and training as we deal with our children. If you go too, much, too far one way, you lose, you lose something. If it's all love, no, you've got to have training. If it's all training, but you don't have love, that's not going to work. It's always this balance that we have as good parents. And number four, the fourth principle is that intentional parents begin with the end in mind. Intentional parents begin with the end in mind. And I stole that from Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where one of those principles is begin with the end in mind. And I think parenting, as much as anything, it really, it really matters. I read somewhere one time that we are not... How do they say it? We're not raising children. We are raising adults. We are raising adults. So when you look at your child, I want you, okay, do this. This is an exercise. You have a, you have a child in your home. It's, he's two years old or she's five years old or maybe 11. I want you to envision what is this child going to look like when he or she is 25 years old or 30 years old or 40 years old? I'm not talking about what they're going to look like physically. Um, I'm not even going to talk about what they're going to look like in terms of a career or how successful they are. 
what are they going to look like when it comes to when it comes to their character? What character qualities do you want your child to have and live out as a man or woman of faith when they're 30 years old? What's going to be their, you might say, their core values? Um, I mean, uh, there's some basic things we want. I think all Christian parents and grandparents want their children and grandchildren to have a relationship with God and and, and, and to be in fellowship with Him where they're spending time with Him and, and active in a church and, and, and being fed and being part of a community and some kind of life-giving group. And, and those are important. But we also have some qualities that we want to see within them as well. And, I, and, and so I want to challenge you to take some time to think about that. Uh, think about that with your spouse or if you're a single parent, get with a friend. Uh, or maybe if your mom, get with some other moms and say, what do we want to build into our kids? Or dads, get with some other dads and say, what do you, what are, and brainstorm about what do we want to see in the lives of our children? And then we have to work backwards and think, how are we going to get them there? Uh, for instance, let me give you an example. Maybe, maybe honesty is a, is, a, is a characteristic you want to see in your children, which ties to this modeling and this beginning in mind. I, in mind, I think we have to, to do both things. So it begins with us not just training or teaching them about honesty. We have to model that. So, so, so what that means is if there's a, a discount for a child at a certain age to eat at a restaurant and they just had their birthday two weeks ago, you don't fudge. You say, you know, Mary's eight years old now. I have to pay this price instead of that price because your kids are watching. Um, you get an extra dollar back by mistake when the clerk gives you your change and you take that dollar and you give it back to the clerk. And you do that because God is watching and because your child is watching. And by the way, and your kids probably don't know whether you are or not, but don't cheat on your income taxes. You want to sleep at night. You want to sleep well at night. Don't do that. Now, honesty was important. And it was, it was not only something I modeled, but it was a guideline and a rule. And so one of the ways that I enforced this was, I, it was the rule was this. Whatever the consequence for your misbehavior is going to be, it's going to be twice as bad if you lie to me about it. Never lied to me. And so honesty was something we tried to build into our, the into our lives, into the lives of our children so that now that they're adults, um, this is what they would, they would model and, and what we would see in our grandchildren. So there's some books I would recommend. Uh, Tim Kimmel, K-I-M-M-E-L. He has a book called, uh, he has one on grace-based marriage and another one on grace-based parenting that I would recommend to you. John Roseman's written a lot of good stuff. Um, I really like the one Parenting by the Book because he talks about this overarching uh, cultural shift that we have in our, in our nation where we've moved away from parents really guiding and leading and uh, the home being centered around the parents to where children have become the center of the home, which I believe is very unhealthy. Um, he also has written a book called The Six-Point Plan for Raising Happy, Healthy Children. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff.
So um, take, take this intentional parenting stuff, model an active faith, see it as a primary role, balance love and discipline, parent with the end in mind. So, parents from the Old Testament, impress this upon your children. From the New Testament, train and instruct them. This is, our pri this is a primary role for us in life, to train our children, to guide our children, to give them direction. Okay, one more assignment. Let me, let me come back to where we are today. We're on Mother's Day. So, I want to give an assignment to all of you that uh, if you have a mother that is living, you have a grandmother that's living, um, if you're married to the mother of your children, um, let me just encourage you. I want you to tell these significant women in your life three reasons that you appreciate them today. Three reasons that you appreciate them. That's your assignment. I want to close by blessing the mothers. There was a creed I ran across from um, John Killinger that uh, he wrote in one of his books about mothers, the love of a mother. He wrote this, and I quote, I believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who was born of a promise to a virgin named Mary. I believe in the love Mary gave her son that caused her to follow him in his ministry and to stand by his cross as he died. And I believe that one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child, blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of her joy. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today your blessing on mothers and grandmothers who are striving to get it right with the responsibilities that you've given to them. May they model before their children and their grandchildren well. Father, I pray for those who long to have children and have not been able to. I pray for those who have had an abortion and, and live with that regret. I pray that they would find your grace and forgiveness and believe it and accept it. I pray for those who grieve the loss of their mother. I pray for those who struggle with their mothers as well. Lord, you would be at work. We need you. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your strength. We call upon you today in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.